Okay, we are in uh, Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 13, reading from verse 53. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there, and he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, his his mother called Mary, and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Okay, so it says that Jesus went to his hometown and and he started teaching there. Started teaching there in their synagogues. So this is probably in the synagogue in which he grew up. This was the synagogue where he went every Saturday morning with his family. And as he was teaching, and and in the synagogue, just a a common person can get up and begin to teach. Anybody can stand up and, and say a short word. And he was teaching, and he was obviously teaching with an amazing sort of wisdom, but also he was performing miracles because it says, where did he get these miraculous powers? It says in verse 54. And then they started to relate back. They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? And so that's how we know that Joseph was a carpenter. And he says, it says, we know his mother, she's Mary. We know his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And we know his sisters. And they all live around here. We know Jesus from when he grew up. He was just a boy in this synagogue. How could they, how could he begin to do these sort of things? And it says in verse 57, and they took offense at him. And then Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. Now let me say, to an extent, it is good that our own household treats us differently than, than folks outside, to an extent. And to give you an example, last night we were at a wedding. And, and some people at that wedding, two different folks at that wedding, had seen me give some sort of short talk last week on nanotechnology. And so they came up to the table, and three of my kids are sitting there, and my wife is sitting there, And they started saying all these wonderful things about me. Oh, you know, he is just amazing. He talks about nanotechnology. And my son is sitting there going, just waving his hand and shaking his head. And my daughter is just just shaking her head in total disbelief that this can't be so. You can't be talking about the man that we know. (laughs) Not this guy. Not the guy that lives in our home. And... To a certain extent, it is so good that I have that. 
You know, I tell my kids how wonderful I am but, and how fortunate they are to have me as their father. But they just don't believe it. And to an extent, that's really good because I can come home and a- after having all these people listen to me and I give all these talks and all these people paying money to sit there and, and hear me, it's like I tell Shireen, you know, students will fill a lecture hall and lay down thousands of dollars just to hear me lecture. And I say, Shireen, you get to hear me lecture you for free. How fortunate you are. And how she reminds me as soon as I walk in, okay, smart guy, there's the trash, take it out. (laughs) That a prophet is not without honor except in his own home is often a good thing for the prophet to keep his head back on earth, to let him realize that, you know, he's just a dad and his kids, you know, just look at him as dad and and know all his weaknesses. This is a good thing that God has us in families that know us very well, that bring us right back down to earth. And as soon as we start feeling like we're really something, our children will remind us that we're really not quite that thing. So I have a daughter who always corrects, corrects me whenever she hears me speak. Oh, Dad, you said such and such and such and such in your last message. First of all, all your messages are the same. Second of all, you speak too loud. When there is a microphone, you act as if there is no microphone. Did you know we are all in the same zip code when you're speaking? And, and so I think how wonderful it is that I have you, because before I had you correcting me, Think of how it was. I was speaking week after week without having anybody correct me. It must have been just miserable. It's a good thing you're here. And, and so this is good for us as human beings. Families keep us humble. Families keep us... You know, I even heard a man go to this extent and to say, you know, I don't need the Holy Spirit to speak to me that often and correct me. He says, I have a wife. And she takes care of that. And I know what he means. In many respects, you have this. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing to have this sort of relationship in a family. It really guards us and helps us to see that, okay, we've become the CEO of the company. And everybody comes in our office and kisses our ring. But then you get home and your kids have absolutely no respect for the CEO. And, and, and you're trying to talk, and one day I had a meeting in my office, and these folks had come from a very large company. This was a $100 billion company. And so the, the, there were several leaders of this company had this meeting in my office, and we were talking about this thing. And in the me- middle of this meeting, my door was shut. The door comes slam, just opening and just hitting the wall on the other side, and in comes this five-year-old running up to the whiteboard in there, opening up the pen and start drawing. And so we're in the middle of this meeting. And this five-year-old is my son. What can I say? This is my son. The five-year-old son can do this. He doesn't have to knock. He just comes barging right in. No secretary is going to stop him. That's his dad's office. And you know, everybody who was in that meeting, in that room, well understood. That's my son. 
my son is allowed to do that. Shireen, a couple of summers ago, was away a lot taking care of her brother, who had, had cancer at the time. And so I was watching the four children, and when they would get out of school, one of the kids would, one of the older kids would bring them and drop them off at my work. So at about 3.30, I'm meeting with some folks in my office, and the door was open, and income book bags and sneakers being thrown into the door of the room as I'm having this meeting at my table. Now, obviously, it was my children had come out of school. Families are a good thing. Jesus is not coming against families. And for the prophet, I think a family is so valuable. Can you imagine a prophet who would come home and not have a family? Can you imagine what they would be like? Imagine what their minds would be like without a family to bring them back down to earth. This is a good thing. And to say, okay, smarty pants, (laughs) we know really who you are. So take out the trash, clean the bathroom, or do whatever you you have to do here, or take care of the kids. This is a good thing. On the other side of that, very often our families don't respect where God is taking us. And you often find this in unbelieving families. So a young person becomes a believer, and they start getting really excited about the Lord, and the Lord starts to use them. And it's not unusual that the family doesn't recognize what the Lord's doing in this young person's life. In some ways, that's good. In other ways, it would be better if they could realize what's happening. And this is what Jesus is pointing to. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own home or in his own hometown. And it's understandable to a certain extent. Hey, we know you. Come on. You're really not that great. We know your weaknesses. We know what you're really like. And so it's really quite understandable. And Jesus begins to point some of these things out. But then he goes on to say, in verse 58, And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And I want to focus in now on this this verse. He didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Because of their lack of faith, Jesus did not do many miracles. In fact, there is a portion of Scripture that says when He went into a certain town, He could not do many miracles because of their unbelief. So in other words, lack of faith and unbelief inhibits the work of God. You say, well, God's going to do anything He wants to do anyway. You know, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. I'm not so sure that that's the case. Without belief, without faith, there's a lot of things that don't happen. And the Scriptures themselves tell us this. There's examples in Scripture that point to this. And the Scriptures themselves tell us this. Turn to Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 11, and this is the classic portion on faith. You want to learn about faith, you go to Hebrews chapter 11. That's what the whole chapter is about. The whole thing from beginning to end. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
for by it men of old gained approval. Alright, so you see what he says? He says, you know, men of old, our fathers of the faith, they gained approval through faith. Through faith, they gained approval. By faith, verse 3, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. What's he talking about? Through faith, it says, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. What's he talking about? If you keep your finger there at Hebrews chapter 11 and turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. And let's look at what he's talking about. He's making reference to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter, Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Genesis 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why, has you, why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must be master over it. So Cain and Abel, the brothers of Adam, the, the, the brothers who were both children of Adam and Eve, both brought offerings. It says that, that Cain, in verse 2, was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the flocks. And God very much allowed offerings to come from the fruit of the ground. There were grain offerings, there were fruit offerings. But what is the difference between the two offerings? In verse 3 it says, It came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. Look at the difference. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering from the first of his flock. From the very first, from the very beginning, Cain brought an offering. I'm sorry, Abel brought an offering from the very beginning. If you wait to pay, to give a portion, to give a tithe, to give something to the Lord, if you wait to do that, after all the other bills are paid, you will find that there's often very little or nothing left. But if you get in the habit of taking from the first portion, taking from the first bit, and turning it over to the Lord, so automatically that first portion comes. That's the firstling of your flock. That's the difference. Cain, over the course of time, said, I think I'll bring an offering to the Lord. Abel would bring it from the beginning, 
from the firstlings of the flock, it would be brought. It would be brought from the firstlings of the flock. And that's what he would do. That's the difference. One speaks of faith. One does not. One speaks of faith. One does not. And the New Testament brings this and just nails it home. One speaks of faith. The other does not. Just this small difference that I'm going to believe God and give before I take care of all these other needs, I'm going to give something. That's the manifestation of faith. You want to know what faith does? It causes us to walk differently, to do things differently than we would have done. See, that's very subtle. One writes the check before, one writes the check when it's all done. It's very different. It is very different. God had regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's. And you know what happened with Cain? He started getting really upset about it. And God said, why is your countenance fallen? He said, if you do right, you won't have this. But if you don't do right, remember, sin is crouching at your door. But you've got to be master over it. These little things can have a big difference. That's the example that he gives. Now look in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll pick it up at verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. What was the king's edict? Every male child in Israel had to be drowned in the river. Every male child in Egypt had to be drowned in the, river, in the Nile River. And it says that his parents were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, it gives us victory over fear. It says they were not afraid of the king's edict. I am going to do right in this situation. That which is right, I will do. And that was the decision they made. There are three times we see in Scripture where civil disobedience was permitted. That was to preserve human life, the imminent uh, preservation of human life, there could be civil disobedience. There could be civil disobedience when it came to preaching the gospel, and there could be civil disobedience when it came to receiving the Lord, salvation. We see numerous examples of that in the Scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament. So I am all for obeying governments, as it talks about in Romans chapter 13, but there are three examples, and only those three examples. You may say, well, I don't believe in paying taxes. Well, that's civil disobedience, and you ought to pay taxes. Even Jesus, who didn't have to pay taxes because he was the Son of God, the King's Son, paid his taxes. The only three examples of civil disobedience were for the preservation of human life, to preach the gospel, and to get saved. And it's the same in a family. I believe that children ought to honor their parents as they're growing up. But if the parents say, don't get saved, you get saved anyway. And so, his parents did not allow him to be killed. And they were not afraid of the king's edict because of faith. Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, 
considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Moses was a Jew. He didn't have to talk about his Jewishness. He could well have said, I'm the son of Pharaoh's daughter, because she had taken him out of the Nile River and had raised him as her own son. Yet he identified with the Jewish people. Did you know, if you study the death of kings in the Old Testament, every king that disguised himself and went into battle was killed in that very battle. Every one of them. You disguise yourself, and so they would dress as a common soldier or as a common man and go into battle, thinking that if they were dressed as king, somebody's going to really try to kill them. So they would dress as they weren't king. And guess what? It says a stray arrow would just come and hit them. If you or if I act as if we're not believers and don't let our testimony be be sure, it is a lack of faith and we are sure to go down in flames. We cannot hide this. When Christ has come into our hearts, we shall not be ashamed. And if we try to be ashamed... It is our demise. This is what will happen if we try to be ashamed of the gospel. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me in this sinful and perverse generation, I will be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father and His angels. It says, Moses chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. He could well have just kept quiet about his Jewishness. But he made that known. It says because he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. We can keep quiet about our faith and we can avoid getting picked on. But if you let people be known who you are, you may get picked on, but God will bless you. God will bless you. That is the testimony of Scripture. And you know how that comes? That comes by faith. That I believe God is alive, I believe His Word is true, and if I walk in this, He will bless me. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. He grew up in Pharaoh's house and had access to all those treasures. And he said, I would rather have the reproach of Christ When you, when I am attacked because of our faith and people say things, that's the reproach of Christ and we're blessed. You know, sometimes students come to me all concerned about things they hear students saying about me. You know, I heard students saying such and such about you and they they kind of feel that, you know, you go too far with your faith. And that makes me feel really good. And you know what I want to do? I want to go further. Because I've got them on the run now. I want to do more. Because I know that's where the blessing of God comes. And you know what else I know? If I were to totally shut my mouth about it, that still wouldn't be enough for them. How far must we go? Verse 27. And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. 
He left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king. He said, we're going. And he took Israel and he was marching out and he says he didn't fear the wrath of the king and he endured at seeing him who is unseen. When we look upon God and say, God, I can't see you, but I believe. That's belief. That is faith. And then we see the hand of God. Remember, Jesus could not do many miracles in that place because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith he passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Remember what happens. It could not have been easy to step into the Red Sea with walls of water on each side and Oh yeah, I'm sure those walls are just going to stay there while we go walking on through. Walking in faith is never easy for those who are having to walk through it. But those who walk in faith see the glory of God. And when the Egyptians attempted it, they were drowned. Remember what happens with Israel? We've studied this in the past. Blessing for blessing and curse for the curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse, the Scriptures say. He told that to Abraham, speaking of him and his seed. Those who have blessed the nation of Israel have been blessed. Those who have cursed it have been cursed kind for kind in kind. And this was the example of it. Pharaoh said, kill all the male children by drowning them. How did the children of Pharaoh die? The entire army of male men was drowned in the sea, curse for curse. If you attack Israel, you will be attacked in the same way. Blessing for blessing and curse for curse. We've covered that in detail in this class. You have a case against Israel, keep that to yourself. The nation of Israel doesn't always do everything right, doesn't always walk with God. But far be it from us to speak against the apple of God's eye. That's between them and God. And pray for their good that they would follow their God. Don't start attacking them like the people of the world because I guarantee you, neither you nor I will be spared from perishing in this curse. Blessing for blessing and curse for curse. Bless the nation of Israel and say, may you walk in God's way. And that's what Pharaoh indeed experienced. And that's what every nation on earth has experienced coming against them. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. He said there are lists of people who have gone before us. And here they are. He says, by faith they conquered kingdoms, 
They performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. Are there promises in the Word of God? Many of them. You obtain them through faith. If you don't believe that God intends good for you, guess what? You're not going to get that blessing. You must believe that God intends good for you in that. You know what happens? I come to God in prayer in the morning sometimes and I feel so weak. And so much of my preparation for teaching, although I study the portion all week long, so much of the preparation is my heart. God, will I believe that you're going to pour out grace on me on that occasion when I am teaching? Will I believe that? And as he draws that into my heart and I start to believe it, that's when I become like a roaring lion and I have faith and I can take this thing. It is a stark difference going into a work of God and having faith and not having faith. Going into my work in the morning and having faith that God means well for me versus not having faith. That, oh, you know, I've got to fight this thing by myself. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. If I will believe that God has good for me. Look in verse 6 of that same chapter. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. We must believe that God is, that He exists. It is not enough just to believe that, though. We cannot stop there. We must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. God will reward you if you seek Him. That is the testimony of Scripture. And to get this Job syndrome, as so many Christians have, that, oh, woe is me, the whole world is against me, my whole life is messed up, everything is terrible, and God says, why is your, count, your, your countenance down? If you do right, it will not be down. But just remember, sin is crouching at your door. If you allow that to day after day be your testimony, the world is against me, everything's messed up, I stink and the world stinks. We all stink together. Just remember, sin is crouching at your door and it will overcome you. But you must be master over it. And you cannot be master over it if you haven't yet received Jesus in your heart. Without Jesus in your heart, the Bible says you are a slave to sin. There is nothing that you can do to overcome this. You can try to work yourself up emotionally, but it will overcome you again because you're a slave to sin. Once Jesus is in your heart, you still can't overcome it unless you walk in faith. Without faith, you cannot please God, the Scriptures say. That means God will never be pleased with you. That's what it means. You cannot please God means that God will not be pleased. Without faith. It's not enough to believe that He is. You must believe that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you seek Him, He will reward you. Jesus could not do miracles in that place because of their unbelief. You want to see the miracles of God in your career, in your job, in bringing you up. You learn to give these things to God. You learn to spend time with God. and say, God, do a work in my heart that I would believe Your Word. And what the list of people he puts here are very ordinary people that had the same struggles and the same sins that you and I have. This list of people, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, these, many of them were very ordinary people. How many people here have killed anybody? 
How many murderers are in our midst? How many people have intensely gone out and killed somebody? Anybody here? Nobody here. Okay, well, David's in this list. David intentionally had a man killed. And not just, not just Uriah, but a bunch of other people died that day in that, in, in that, in, in that ex, ex, escapade of, of David. Many people died that day. David did that. David is a murderer. David was also a rapist. He raped a woman named Bathsheba. If there is something in your heart that you say, well, you know, I'm just, not, just remember, this is the list that he puts here. This is the list. And he says they exercised faith. It says they conquered kingdoms. Look, if they conquered kingdoms, can he not do a great thing through you and your career? You know, I meet other believing professors. I meet them. And they talk to me about all the woes of being a Christian professor. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I think it's a grand thing to be a Christian professor. I mean, the sparks are what make life exciting. And they're so timid in their faith. No wonder why they're getting beaten up all the time. Because remember, when you speak a lot, people leave you alone. When you're timid about it, they pick on you all the time. If you speak a lot, they think, let's not get him started. Who by faith conquered kingdoms. So many defeated believers. I don't want to even bring them, be around them. It's, it's like they bring me down. I heard one guy yesterday, he was bemoaning the fact of how difficult it is to break into academics and oh, everybody's depressed and I said, look, give me a break. Twenty years ago when I started, this is what the funding level was from the National Institutes of Health. This is why I had to change my whole career. I wrote, more I, in my first 36 months as a faculty professor, I wrote 37 proposals and submitted them. 37 proposals in 36 months. Yeah, so I worked pretty hard. And that's before word processing was as good as it was. I, would, I hand wrote my first proposal and handed it to a secretary that typed it up on the departmental word processor. Then I drew the structures and cut them out and pasted them in. You know, this cut and paste comes from something that used to be done. And so I said, I, I don't feel for you. I don't weep for you. I don't cry for you. Because in Christ there can be a victory. And I told them, if you'd learn to fall on your knees and cry out to God, you'd be successful in your career. And you wouldn't be here bemoaning the fact and coming to me and thinking that I'm, I'm going to commiserate with you. I have no mercy on you. Learn to fall down before God and ask Him for help. This is what faith is all about. You're going to exercise this? I mean, we live in this little window of human history where we can practice our faith without fear of persecution that somebody's going to kill us. You say, oh no, I really go through persecution. Come on, tell me, what do you go through? That somebody said that they were offended because you're a Christian? Oh, that's real persecution. Yeah, we ought to write that in the Bible. You, know, you talk about persecution. Somebody was offended by your faith. This is kindergarten. The scriptures even say you haven't, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. How many people here have been shot for your faith? How many here, uh, people here have been stabbed for your faith? How many people here have shed blood for your faith other than maybe hit your fingernail with a hammer on a mission trip. I mean, none of us. 
This is a little brief window in human history where we can exercise our faith with very little fear. These men conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness. It says they obtained promises through faith. You want to obtain promises, you must exercise faith. They shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the power of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong. This is beautiful. I come before God and I say, God, the scriptures say from weakness they were made strong. This is what I need today. From weakness I need to be made strong. Exercise that, Lord. By faith you go from a state of weakness to a state of strength. You go into a prayer time like a wimp. You come out of a prayer time like a lion because of God. So much of our dealings with God is God dealing with our heart. Learning to get our heart in line with the Scriptures to believe God. To believe His Word that He means good for us. And that doesn't mean that we always receive everything we ask for in the way we ask for it. And if we don't receive it in the way we ask for it, God, your will be done. You've got something better for me on the horizon. There's some other purpose here. I have not always received the answer to prayer that I've asked for. Many times I haven't. Many times. Some Christians say, you know, I always receive my answer. Well, not me. I mean, I've prayed for so many things I haven't received, but I look back on it and I am delighted in many respects that He hadn't given those things. And then there's other things that I prayed for that I didn't receive, but I have to commit it to God and say, God, Thy will be done. This is an exercise of faith. Jesus says, Jesus said in John chapter 12, Now my soul has become troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. And a voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus said, My soul has become troubled. But what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. And there will be many instances in our lives when things happen that we cannot explain. When things that we pray for do not happen as we have prayed for them. And then we must say, Father, glorify Thy name. And God says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. This is the Christian life. You can't have it and walk in a lack of faith. Jesus said, he said he could do no miracles there. He would do no miracles there because of a lack of faith. God brings us back to faith. We must exercise faith. There is something that has to do with us. And it is the exercise of faith. We must exercise faith. And you may say, well, I had no faith for such and such situation and I got it anyway. Well, good. That's not going to happen very often. God in His extra mercy showed something forth. But in general, the general pattern of Scripture there is an exercise of faith. There must be an exercise of faith in His Word. You read this Word and you exercise it. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of the Word of God. How we must exercise faith and walk in it. 
Father, I thank you that you call us to a point that is beyond ourselves, where we will believe this unseen God, as it says of Moses, as seeing Him who is unseen. Moses, it says, saw Him who is unseen, as seeing Him. Father, though we do not see You, may we walk in faith, because we have so great a cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. So great a cloud who have witnessed forth your hand and who have gone before us. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to exercise faith and walk in it. Father, that you would stir them up from within, that they would learn to come before you and say, God, stir up my heart and help me to walk in belief. And they would commit things to you and be able to be freed from themselves and walk in belief for their careers, for their relationships, for their marriages to be. That they would learn to walk in faith and not compromise as people of the world have to do. Father, have mercy on them. And Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they would receive you so that they too could see this experience of walking with faith in Christ. Father, I commit these young people to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.